Hi, and we are so excited to be back at the Religion of Human Nature podcast, and I have really exciting guests today. I have singer-songwriter Kat Perkins. Kat, how are you doing? Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And Aaron Gabriel, composer and songwriter. Yes, they sound like the same thing, but they're not quite. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're going to be talking, we'll talk a little bit about your backstories, but uh, we're going to be talking about the topic music and the soul, right? How does music sort of affect our emotions and our feelings and also what's inside us? Uh, as a rabbi, something I deal with all the time and play with and emotions. Um, but I want to hear it from the experts, people who are really inside the music uh, industry and, and composing it. and writing. Yeah, we're excited. So, so Kat, let's start with you. How did you get into music, sort of like your story and what brought you to want to write and sing? Well, I came from a very musical family. My father was my music teacher. My sister is a music teacher. My great grandma was a music teacher. My grandma, everyone in my family was really music centric. And so I just kind of grew up with having that around. And my mom was the church organist. And I started singing when I could talk. I actually don't ever remember not singing. And um, and I was really inspired by my father who spun records for us every single day hmm. and really taught me how to sing and harmonize and, and love it. That's great. And, and Aaron, what about you? In some ways similar. My mom was the church piano player. Um, my dad was a minister. And so... Um, and he was a really fantastic singer. He would never say that, but I remember him being a very good singer. Um, and it was a church that was very into harmony singing. Like everyone yes. in the congregation just naturally found harmony parts. Um, and there was lots of really talented people in a very small congregation of like 25 people in the Northwoods. And so we would, a lot of times we would, we would gather around the piano at night and just sing with each other and Same. do things like that as a family or as friends. It was... Um, that was just very common, so it was just a natural thing for me to go into music. And my and my uh, my grandfather on my dad's side was a composer. He wrote over five thousand hymns, wow. so he was a hymn writer, and he's he's published here and there. Yeah, so I want to stay on this topic because you both said something similar. My experience with church is limited, right? It's limited. Sure. Uh, I do go over to Gloria Day every once in a while, and I actually this year I went to my first sort of Christian music uh, conference for, uh, it was over at St. Thomas. Uh, it was really cool, but mostly heard the pastors. I didn't actually hear some of the, the student groups, but so church, um, the experience in synagogue, which is my experience is very different than church. Tell me a little bit about why are all churches that you, your experience uh, musical and why is that so motivating religiously that music sort of brings religion to the forefront? Aaron, you start with this one. <laughs> I think it's, it, um, oh, that's a toughie. It's, it's so really interesting because I'm thinking about your, your the idea of the music and the soul too. For us, in, in this is a primarily Presbyterian, the Presbyterian track, although we were a country church. <laughs> so my dad had different churches of different affiliations because there just weren't ministers. Right. So, um, yeah, the, the denomination piece of it was not really like ever something that we were constantly thinking about. Like, we're Presbyterians and that. So right. the doctrine is correct. But um, but there were just, there were five hymn points in the service. So if you're a person who, is, who has seen your dad preach hundreds of times, the hymn mix-up was really nice. <laughs> so like, right. um, you know, my mom had her favorites, of course, but then you just learn them better. And I think that... And, 
I went to a very conservative, uh, traditional church in the way in the in the way that we did hymns. Um, there were other people at the time not in the '90s when it was contemporary church music, where it was like, you know, um, what was the name of it? Maranatha praise music was the term it was used, and it was very like guitars and drum kits and lights, and and now that's progressed even further. There's really famous, world famous. Christian bands that are like do these worship services that are like in Absolutely. stadiums. Yeah, that's even so progressed. There farther. was Christian rock and things like that. That's all. Oh, sorry. That's all I could listen to. My parents didn't want me to listen to secular music oh. until Amy Grant came along <laughs> and changed Thank it you, all. Amy. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Um, but yeah, that was that's. I think that that's. It is just. It's about these points of worship, yeah, which is exactly. very similar to other systems. But the music is different. Mine was a Lutheran church, and again, very rural. I think our congregation was under a hundred, and very traditional Lutheran. So everything was sung. Even the mm. responses to the psalm and, and those things were sung. So, in my experience, it just seemed like. In the history of the church in my small town, it was just that they knew that they could come there and sing because it was very hymn-centric and very musical-centric. Um, and they, it, it brought them together, and I think they really enjoyed that part. Most everyone in the congregation, I will say confidently, were not singers. Hmm. Um, they had music in their family, but I think they just really enjoyed doing something every single week that they don't normally do. Now, in my family, we normally did it. But I still loved and, and, and enjoyed coming together as a, as, as a union to sing every single week. But I don't know where the history came from on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, in Judaism, we, we sort of explore music differently. I grew up, it was sort of like a pace. It, sure. I wouldn't even see it as melodies. And I'm sort of now trying to find my way in sort of to a musical service that speaks to also generational. I, I don't know about... Maybe, maybe this is a good question for you guys. Um, I've tried to explain to my congregation that mu- why would, if disco died and, and you know, there's been generations of music, right? Did Every, disco die? Yeah, disco it died. <laughs> I didn't you know. didn't get no. the memo? <laughs> so, I don't so, know if I can do the rest of this podcast. <laughs> You know, like there's iterations of music, right? You know, there's no disco channel or maybe right. an XM, but you're not, you know, every, every, even the music like I grew up listening to, like the the NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, like yes, my same. kids don't think that's cool anymore. Maybe I right. don't, don't anymore. They either, will in like 15 years. Or maybe, yeah, it'll yeah. be that retro stuff yeah. they listen to, which so, is weird. So I said, why would Jewish music or religious music of any sort stay the same? Does music that's sort so of true. changed in the Presbyterian Church and Lutheran Church, the churches that you've been to, um, has has the music evolved? At least the sound evolved. I would say in in my in my congregation that still exists in my small town that I grew up in. No, it hasn't. But now that I live in the big city of Minneapolis, when you go to a Christian church or even a Lutheran church, it absolutely has evolved into something that's more. Um, connected with what's happening or the sounds that are happening on the radio, um, more modern, more modern instruments, more instruments than we ever used. I, I definitely see that here, but not in my hometown. When I was growing up, my sister-in-law was in a, at the time was in a, in a, um, kind of like a band that toured through a Bible college that was sure. coordinated in Northern Minnesota. So I think that there's, I wouldn't ever say that like a music dies. I think it just moves on to something else. And we go back to those fundamentals 
um, like when you're in synagogue, you know that you have the chanting and the mm -hmm. and, and it's and it does connect you to something really deep. And I think that that's why people still continue to do it because it's it connects you to the generations and generations Even if it and does generations. And then to combine that with something new or to look at it in a new way so that especially people who are listening to things differently and their ears, your ear changes. Well, also the people that curate these things yeah. for every single week. You know, I mean, my mom was in charge of that. Now she would probably still make the same choices that she did. But when you have somebody that's in their 20s or 30s doing that, they're definitely going to choose something different mm -hmm. and maybe try to you know, go a different way to connect with a different audience. Or now that this, the people in the congregation grow older, you know, they connect with kind of what their generation is. So I think it's a good idea to do that, yeah. if you want my opinion. Yeah, I love it. I love hearing both. I love mixing both. Absolutely. Which is difficult yeah. for some people, but I like it. Um, so let's talk, both of you write music as well. So uh, what's some of your inspiration and maybe what's been, has there been religious inspiration <laughs> behind some of your music? And if not, or if so, how are you sort of getting into playing on people's emotions? Obviously, when you're writing a personal piece, you're playing on your own emotions, but how do you make sure that that connects to other people's emotions? So let's right. take the, the song that you wrote that I think is so beautiful, Fearless. Yes. Right? Like, that speaks to me too, although I doubt highly that you had me in mind when you were writing it. <laughs> so, so how do you make sure that like you're not just saying words for yourself, but making words that or music that connects with others? That's kind of twofold. When I started writing music, there's no denying that I was inspired or influenced by hymns or where I kind of learned music at the core. But when I really started to write music, then gain, get, getting my other influences from modern radio, I started to just write about topics that were either happening in my life or topics that were happening in my friends or family's lives, um, just sort of storytelling. Um, but I think then when it started to evolve and I became an actual songwriter, like getting paid to do it, having songs on the radio, then it, it also went to a different place where sometimes people ask me to write a certain song. And when it came to Fearless, that song was solely to try to connect my experience from being on NBC's The Voice and doing something completely crazy like a reality show and wanting to convey how I felt on the show, how other people can sort of take leaps of faith like I did to do that kind of uh, weird, weird uh, what do you call it, uh, extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Um, so when I'm writing a song, it's either if I have a topic that somebody's told me to write about, I do it. Or if I'm still writing, I'm just, I'm, I, I kind of just live in the moment. What am I feeling right now? What do I want to convey? And what's the story I'm trying to tell people to connect with? Um, yeah, that's such, that's a great question. I, I write music for the theater. So that involves a lot of musical writing, mu musicals. Um, and you're writing for a character. So you're trying to, and, and when you write a musical, you have, you can do tons, it, many, many, many different ways. And every show and every song I've done, has, I've had to approach from such different levels. Um, even when Kat and I work together, every song is so different. We'll have half a lyric and half a melody sometimes. Yep. Sometimes we'll have just a whole bunch of lyrics and then we have to find the melody. Kat, sometimes Kat sings a melody into her voice memos and sends them to me. And Absolutely. Like, is this something? Is this? So, <laughs> so it's just such a, and so when you're writing for a character, when you're writing for musical theater, what you want to have happen is that it, um, 
you you're talking and you're talking and then the emotion becomes so elevated that you can only do it through song and so the song either has to typify a style like if you're writing for a certain time period there can be these big group numbers that typify that style of time period and put you in the mood for the show but when a character sing when it's a character driven piece you want the characters emotions and ideas and and getting from point a to b at that elevated level so sometimes Moving I'm writing the about story line sometimes line. I mean many times I'm writing about things I've never even experienced so I just have to research like crazy and yeah. talk with a ton of people and then I present the song multiple times to different people who maybe have experienced it from different places in their lives and I'm like do you connect what things are don't Working work for you yep and that's just a part of my process it's such a different process than mine and that's why I love it and I also why we work together well because we bring two different sides to it where I grew up with Van Halen Def Leppard and Rock and Fleetwood Mac and we were not allowed to listen to those things (laughs) we didn't know they existed and he brings a lot more purpose (laughs) and lyrics and research to things so and that's a really cool thing when we come together which is quite often nowadays yeah and interestingly enough I've written so many hymns just because that's something I've was able to do and then for some reason these musicals I keep writing even then when I'm working on for Augsburg College I was like oh there's going to be a hymn here so then I'll write yet another hymn and that's just a style I've learned and obviously grew up singing um, and it's a very specific it's a German four-part heart um, four-part harmony writing exercise basically <laughs> I just think I've it's never funny. wrote a hymn by I the know, way it's but it's just funny who writes still a but chance. At, this, I know, right? <laughs> at, at this point in my life doing it so long I feel like if I had to I totally could and yeah. it's not as scary as it maybe used to be for me yeah it, it's just it's basically like just theory yeah in so many ways you know it's very specific stacking and, chords yeah and voice leading and things like that yeah. but I've had to write a lot of them I never expected in my whole life that I'd write any so when do you find music most spiritual to you. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story. That, um, so uh, about over a little over a year ago, there um, was this shooting in Pittsburgh, and um, we had a lot of people come in t- that weekend after to do a service. We brought in the, the mayor. Uh, we had uh, the pastor from the large church down the street. and really brought a community, and Kat came in and, and sang God Bless America, ended services, and I watched the kids sing with her, and I was just floored with emotion. It was a huge spiritual moment for me, um, and I've sort of had that with music. I, I did not grow up with music and service, really, and I actually hated it for sure. so long. Uh, a few years ago, we brought in a, a, a woman, um, Naomi Les, who's a dear friend of mine, and her family, actually her brother is a congregant here, and she's a Jewish musician, and she led this Friday night service, and she began with this song where she said, the words I were like, all you angels, come in, you angels. And I thought about it, and I said, what a beautiful way to start a service, referring to everyone walking your doors, not knowing them, but they're an angel in some capacity. Mm, that's great. And I just loved it. And I was like, Naomi, you caught me with your words and your music, and I was hooked. And I, it, it took like 35 years to, <laughs> yeah. to like even enjoy. So when, is, when do you find music most spiritual for you? I think, you know, I, I, I'm lucky because I not only get to write music, but I also get to perform it on stage. So there, again, it's going to be kind of twofold. I, I guess personally, I find when I'm listening to music, it's um, most spiritual when I'm trying to heal. If there's 
something going on in my life that you know I, I, I want to sort of get in touch with or, or grieve. I think grievance is a huge reason for me to listen to music and where I find it really spiritual. But on stage, <clears throat> I find that experience to be when I can see emotions in the audience. And when I can see either people's mouths open or people crying or people laughing, I get to do it all because it's just kind of how I, you know, roll my, my, like my Christmas shows. There's lots of humor in there. So when I see a reaction like that, that becomes a very spiritual moment for me and a very deep moment to know that I'm doing my job and doing it well and making people feel or be entertained. So there's my twofold answer, I guess. I, I found the first thing I thought of, which I'm just going to go with, is I, fi- I find it most spiritual when I ha- I need to call on the ancestors to somehow guide me through the process. And I that might sound strange to people who maybe don't understand what I'm saying, but because I do so much work with other people's stories and I, and I don't always have the resources to tell them, I don't have enough research sometimes like when we were doing the show about new orleans and the the prostitutes of storyville those stories have actually been clipped out of the newspapers in the archives in the library because they involve senators and and so people have descendants of those people have gone in and removed the history of these of these women and the other thing about the them is that no one was walking around writing their histories They, they people wanted to do their thing and then forget about them. And so you if you want to write a song about that that group of people, I find that I have to I have to actually like reach out to a, a different time and ask them to help. And like then, through the universe. Yep, through the universe. And I I don't know what to call that. Um right. I don't know what that means, but when it when it happens, then I feel like I'm doing something right. I'm I'm saying something, and the audience responds really strongly, like, Goodbye to Storyville was a really powerful piece. And I f- then I feel like somehow I've connected through generations or through the ether or through what people believe, believe systems and brought a story to life, and that is a really amazing feeling. What about when it's not your own music? So when not when you're writing, but when you hear someone else's. Is someone else sort of like who hits you in your heart or in your gut or even in your head that sort of like speaks to your soul in a way like Def Leppard, right. great band. I'm not sure they speak to my soul. <laughs> right. They might speak to my dancing shoes, uh, you know, or my part, you know. But yes. so who are some of those maybe influences mm. or whose music like you need a good cry? Oh, who I just, I just had it happen. <laughs> um, one of my, so I'm a child of the 90s basically. And in the latter 90s when I was old enough to sort of, venture out on my own. I I grew up in North Dakota, so we got our driver's license at 14, by the way. Mm -hmm. So as I got my driver's license, I was asking to go to every single concert I possibly could. Again, living in a rural community, I had to drive at least 150 miles to go see a lot of my idols or people that I was getting into from the radio. But in the latter 90s, I I drove out here to Minneapolis and went to a thing called Lilith Fair. And we were both there. We were both there. We didn't know each other then. There weren't as many men. There wasn't as many men. <laughs> if I remember correctly. Not that, not that I like count in that group very well. But. but there was this artist on the side stage, and her name was Patty Griffin. And, mm-hmm. and even in the 90s, I'm not sure why we sh- she was on the side stage, because she was already known, singer-songwriter. Uh, to this day, 
not only does her music sound timeless to me, which is rare, but I mean, I, I can barely do that as a writer, but it speaks to a lot of things that I go through in my own life. And um, yeah, there's, there's a record called Living With Ghosts. Like every single mm. song I can connect with in some level. And if I need to cry or I need to just feel something, she is my go-to for sure. That record is my go-to. Uh, I got so I'm now I'm thinking about Patty Griffin. Yeah, no, <laughs> I just fair. lost. I'm like, I know. <laughs> oh man, those were so many, so much fun times. I mean, like, and yeah, very there, pivotal times. There I guess, are so too. many different things. There's, there's film scores have are always a big one for me. I love, I love really unique film scores. Not necessarily John Williams, although an extraordinary composer, but that sometimes is a little much for me. But it's some of the more unique. In uh, composers Pieces. who use interesting sounds, right? Uh, interest, interesting instrumentation. Um, so there's classical composers or 20th century composers who blow my mind. There's modern songwriters who just I love people who are really inventive. Missy Elliott. Right. I mean, when I think yeah. of like inventiveness, doing things backwards, forward, doing the music backwards, that was just like that is such a unique collaboration. Her and Timbaland just to do. And they talked about how they just wanted to flip everything around and just, and, and they, it. then they literally, <laughs> did, yeah, <laughs> but they really wanted to. And then they literally did it on the, and I was just like, it was the sounds that they created were so fascinating. There's great composers, um, symphonic composers right now doing similar things who've been inspired by people like Missy Elliott. Just, I love sure. it when people are really inventive. I love to be inventive. I also love to go back really far and find music that is, uh, people don't listen to, um, especially in Western cultures or maybe even in the Midwest, and incorporate those sounds. Find um, find musicians who can play those instruments. Indian musicians, Romani Romani musicians who use different scales. Um, like you know, um, I recently got to travel to Algeria. Um, and learn some, a lot about Middle Eastern scales, which are, have a different theory, especially Berber scales, which were the Berber people are the ones who live in the Jurjura Mountains of Algeria, and they're pre-Islam, mm. and their language is is not um, written down. So there's fewer and fewer Berber, fewer and fewer um, people recording those melodies. And I met this really amazing um, professor there who is at the University of Algiers, and he went through his whole thesis with me, basically, in the wow. two hours we had, and gave it to me. Um, but he said that everything starts with one note, and from that one note, you can have a melody that's just one note, and from that one note, anything is possible. So he goes, the first melody is just the smallest raise from that note, and then the next melody just had you go just below the note, and that was the first melody. And if you think of building from that, it's just really fascinating, a fascinating approach. I think you bring up a cool thing about, like, when you want to feel a certain emotion or grieve or whatever it is that you're going to listen to music for, it can be instrumental. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be the lyrics or the story sure. that's being portrayed or the story that is portrayed in, in instrumental music. So I love that about that. And if you look around you in your daily, in your daily journey, that's how... TV shows are furthered. That's how it makes you feel when it's there, there's not even lyrics, which 
is magical. I was thinking of film scores and Thomas Newman's The War soundtrack, that movie The War with Kevin Costner. I don't know if anybody even saw that ever. <laughs> but it was done in this like childhood. It was done basically surrounding this war that was happening between two different treehouses groups. Like two, the two the kids had, but it was during their their fa- their fathers were in the Vietnam War at the time, wow. so it was just a, it was obviously a metaphor for that. But he used tin cans. He used um, uh, what are they called with the I'm not, wind chimes? Wind chimes, oh. like all of the stuff that, that the kids were hearing is in the score, and it makes including you feel. including like voices that you feel are coming from way up the street. Oh, from there was just somebody singing from their kitchen window, and I just was like, ah. How you can uh, that I love the people who think like that, and that bring, that feels like a very strong connection. The the things you guys are describing, and I guess in some ways it's the crux of the question, because music certainly conveys emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's the most manipulative art form. Yes. That's what we say. Fair. Yes. It maybe, can make you feel something just like that. Maybe yeah. two co- notes. Maybe watching too much Food Network, I might disagree, <laughs> but. <laughs> but but music's probably. But you can't taste the food. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You I mean, like I love food shows. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but so, um, you know, it conveys emotion. There's there's no doubt about it. You know, I remember as a kid when I first found the Beatles and what how excited or like yes. how if I hear one note of a Boys to Men song, I'm up on my feet. It does <laughs> yeah. not matter, right? Boom. There's just some musicians who do that. So. Um, but is emotion the same as impacting our soul? Mm. So I want to say yes. I, there, there's, there's, a, there's a Jewish musician named Joey Weisenberg whose music, man, I could listen to it on repeat, and I have. I mean, I just will take some of his album, and he's just incredible. And the music he's doing and the people he's, that are following him it, um, are, are just, they're sort of inspiring a new generation, at least religiously, of music. Um, and there are certain musicians that I think, you know, uh, let's take, um, like Whitney Houston, right? Her voice just carried people to another realm. Right. And I would say she broke through emotion and almost hit people in their soul. That's so true. But I, I would agree with that. But our, but is the, all of this, is the majority of music speaking to like our inner voices of trying to change and be better being fearless, whatever whatever we're doing, or, or the composing that you're talking about, or are they just playing? On, or are they just pulling on the strings of our emotions? And is there a difference? Man, because I would say that I would. You're say in you a could, rabbi's office. I the know. Questions get more. I than love just this. No, I love it. I think it's so interesting because I would say that you were mentioning Def Leppard. I feel like some of their songs were probably very emotionally, absolutely, and like part of their soul, Social, their ballads, and, and so the and, production, and obviously that connects. So I think there's something about the connection between people that can be created with music. Um, I've been able to. I've been so lucky to travel around the world and work on music with people in different cultures. And that and food, um, <laughs> those things. Well, if you can, if you can connect in that way, anything is truly possible. I, I've just seen things that, that I was like, "There's no way, no one here." I'm in Thailand. I don't speak Thai. How are we going to do a, a production with community members and farmers and all? Then the rest of the people were kids with disabilities. Like, and we put on amazing productions there. It was so fun and all driven by the community. With all their different melodies, all the, you know, and some of my stuff too, because that's what the collaboration's about. But I feel like, I feel like soul comes from so many different things, and yeah. it, 
and the way you hear it when you're in Thailand, this Thai sounds, especially with, you know, the, the how influential K-pop is, is a different style and different sound, Ooh. different texture, but it clearly connects. And I right. think... So, so Seoul must, it probably looks so different to so many people. That's so true. And honestly, with me, it's probably, it's not consistent because I might be looking for something different every day when I'm looking to, to listen to music or to escape into music. But I would say, for me, the way that I do feel emotion with music, whether performing or listening, is because my soul is struck. I think, and here's the sad panda part of it. I don't want to be a sad panda, but in nowadays, and with modern production of music, I think a lot of that is missing. And and I don't necessarily... I'm, I'm getting older, I got it, but I don't necessarily connect with a lot of modern radio, pop radio artists as much as I did with with the production that was older on tape and real bands being used instead of this programming stuff that the connection for me on, on some of this new music that's out there is solely because it's catchy. And I'm not sure that that's striking my soul. It might be making me but feel... But that throughout history, there's always been tunes that are catchy. It's that, very that, true. That, but they might put you in a good mood, which you need. Yeah, and that's true. And that true. can make so your then, soul open up. I guess when, <laughs> when you say it like that, then it is still striking I just think soul, of some of my wanting friends... Wanting me to dance or, you know... I think some of my friends who are working in ambient music, and which is... It's not my... I, I don't listen to a lot of ambient music. I, I think actually of it do. As, I think of it as more music that you would like have at an exhibit. Or like, right. It's not something you listen to because it's so repetitive and so trance-like. But when I think of how much soul and time they put into it, I have a friend who does um, field recordings and then it, it puts them into ambient sound. So it goes around with a recorder like your Zoom here and records people and sounds and then makes wow. a texture. Like, and it's the way that they write like a life essay, how you used to do photo essays of a trip. This is their essay format, so it's like parts of their life get put into this. So to further... And that, I feel like, is a ton of soul. It's memory. I'm it's, sure. Yeah. To further your opinion, yeah, I think it's the same. I think emotion and soul, it might feel different every day, even with the same song, but I think it's very congruent. Yeah. You might have a more clearly defined, uh, <laughs> defined version of soul because well, it's what you work in. We, this, uh, this year, our, our, we do a special service on the second day of... High Holidays, and we really explored soul. And we talked about, I think, five or six stories of people sort of journeying through um, the singularity of soul, the breadth of soul, mm. the the sort of just soul in general, what we call nefesh in Judaism. And and there are the, there's like five different definitions of it. And we read a story about each. We talked about a family who lost a child really uh, early, about a couple weeks into the child's life. And instead of mourning, which most people do, or grieving for could be years, uh, they went and built a playground in um, in, in a few suburbs over. Wow. Um, we talked about Ray Allen, the basketball player, and how he went to uh, Auschwitz and his experience there. And he says, I didn't go as a NBA player, or as a black man, or as a Jewish man, or or even as a man, I just went as a human being and trying to contemplate what would have happened to me wow. in in the 1940s in, in Germany. Mm. You know, so we took really heavy stories and really question the soul and what what we're what we're doing, what we're made of. Um, and I amazing. think that's a, qu a question for all of us when we're sort of listening to music: Is this playing on our emotions? Is this deepening our soul? Yes. Um, how do we put? I would suggest how do we put both in our lives? Yes, right? absolutely. 
Um, I want to thank both of you for being here. Oh, such um, an honor. Thank you. thank you. This has been so much fun. I want to plug your Christmas shows coming up. Yes. You can check them out. Catparkins.com. Yep. Tickets are on sale. AaronGabrielMusic.com. Music.com. Yep. Um, and you can find both of them, both traveling, composing, writing, yes. buy their CDs. Um, music's on iTunes? Mm-hmm. On yep. both of our websites. Right. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, you name it. It's 2019. We got it. We got this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I want to thank you both for being here. It's been a pleasure having you. And I uh, hope people will listen. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. It's the name of my album. There <laughs> you <Listen>. go. <laughs> I was never a big fan of music and services. It never really got to me in a way that I could be spiritually uplifted. It's probably because of the community I grew up in. One year, we had a visiting musician or cantor at our synagogue every month, and we had a musical service. And I sat back and I was transformed. And it was that moment where I realized that music can really penetrate our soul, that it can really turn us to be reflective people happier people, more committed people to a larger cause and a larger community. Music absolutely awakens the soul. It is through it that we find humility. We can find ourselves. We can find the people around us. I want to thank my guests, Kat and Aaron. Thank you to Temple of Aaron for allowing me to record here. Uh, I want to thank Todd Kessler for the music. I'm Rabbi Jeremy Fine, and this was the Religion of Human Nature podcast.